1: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 89. We are going to run through 20 snippets of some really astounding bass performances by some really astounding metal bassists. Uh, before we do, uh, I want to welcome, as always, my brother and pod, Hunter Ginn.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, good evening.
1: And we are both fresh off the—is uh, it the, f- the fourth game of the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions? Mm. We are starting late because uh, right now the world revolves around Jeopardy, pretty much.
0: I, well, it, it doesn't really, but our world does.
1: <laughs> I'm being selfish. It's only about our world. Who cares? So before we get started with this base and craziness, I um, want to remind everyone that we have a really well-stocked Radical Research store at the moment. You can find that on RadicalResearch.org. We have three, count them, three Canvas Solaris CDs in stock. And when things come in threes, we believe it. All three of my books are also now available again. Although I'm getting low on mean deviations. So order that if you want it, because they won't last long. And they'll be gone for a few months. Uh, Good news is that Soul on Fire, the Peter Steele biography, is back in print after much demand. And of course, uh, my latest book, Destination Onward, The Story of Fate's Warning. We also have a few Keep Metal Weird shirts available. Please check that out at radicalresearch.org and help support our mission. We want to give special thanks to Rowan McKenzie for his generous contribution to Radical Research recently. He didn't even buy a product. He just sent us some money via PayPal. So uh, you can do the same. And our PayPal ID is the same as our contact email, radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, before we get to the business at hand for episode 89, we should mention the new Hammers of Misfortune album. It's called Overtaker. It's fucking excellent. It's way thrashier than any album they've done before, but it also really falls nicely under the hammers umbrella i'm really into it i don't think you've get you've given it a listen yet because we just got it i have not yet yeah are you excited for it of course i am you should be i i want to urge you because i know
0: and i and you know my life has been a little chaotic lately Mm -hmm. and i just you know how much i worship uh hammers and and john Cobbett's songwriting in general and i just want to make sure that i give it the uh The time that it deserves, so.
1: We were really honored that John kind of pointed at us for making him decide to bring back the Hammer's Misfortune name. Apparently our episode on the band, uh, I think that was episode 55, uh, helped John realize that people, to quote John, actually give a shit, unquote. We couldn't be more humbled. It's it's a small thing. I know that um, John's decision probably would have happened without us, but he does listen to Radical Research. We're really thankful that he's such a loyal listener and that we had anything to do with getting a seventh album with the Hammers of Misfortune name on it. Beyond, <laughs> beyond humbling. We're going to put a link to the Hammers of Misfortune Bandcamp page in our show notes uh, where you can buy a CD of overtaker if they're still available i think the cd pressing is very limited but you can also stream or download the album no idea if vinyl is coming but uh throw some cheddar their way and support the band and overtaker now on to some seriously badass bass guitar sorcery I
0: don't know. i right i'm i'm bored with sorcery
1: you're bored with sorcery
0: it's my favorite monster magnet song title
1: bored um, with sorcery what album is that on uh,
0: uh some shitty later album that i don't care about at all but i just love the title
1: there's another title you mentioned recently to me and on the episode that that has the word sorcery in it right one of your favorite song titles oh oh uh lucifer yeah um, yeah there deep, you go
0: yeah deep sea sorcery
1: <laughs> basically
0: i if you have uh, song title with the word sorcery in it and something vaguely descriptive i will appreciate it <laughs> so if you have a band with and and you know you follow those basic <laughs> metrics i will at least sort of pay attention to what you're doing but i probably won't like it
1: <laughs> seems to be the pattern so far with yeah. you, and, you and sorcery yeah um, I, don't, I don't
0: like the lucifer record i don't like uh yeah i don't like um the Monster Magnet record. So but you, you know, like, him. like
1: him. I appreciate the effort. It's like out of season melons. You don't fuck with it. Yeah, I don't fuck with them. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna do this show 20 snippets. It's probably gonna go by in a flash. What I wanted to do, what I've noticed as a really interesting and wonderful phenomenon is as a huge fan of the bass guitar, it's... You're, you're it,
0: being, yeah, yeah, you're being a bassist and all.
1: Well, that I, I'm more, yeah, I know it more intimately, but I also ha- just have always loved it. And and um, there's nothing better than a Rush bass line or a Yes bass line or a Manowar bass line, or I could keep going and going and going. Like something about the bass really gets hard in the gut, pr- probably for us all. One thing I like a lot is a bass solo. And I'm not talking about an unaccompanied bass solo, like Cliff Burton, genius, anesthesia solo. Uh, I'm talking more about like when the bassist will launch into a solo mid song or after the second chorus where a lead guitar usually is Uh, that won't hold for all of these snippets, but I think for probably 85, 90% of them, it will. So, yeah, I started, I started this idea of doing this episode two years ago and I kept a notes on my phone. Anytime a, a bass solo would occur to me, the very first one, uh, was Joey Vera's released. We'll listen to that in, in just a few minutes. But I kept making a list when I'd either hear it or it would occur, occur to me. And, you know, you pitched in a few on this episode. So let's go. And I think the 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 one the guy you got to start with is Lemmy. Very prominent bass player, very prominent tone, absolutely crushing, kind of the original blower sound. Let's get into these and we'll, we'll talk a little and, bit. about And Rickenbacker. And Rickenbacker. And and Rick and yeah. Why, why are some of the most badass bassist rick players (laughs) just happens uh yeah so this is uh these are some well-known tracks and um yeah we we can't get enough of this stuff this is motorheads keep us on the road and motorheads stay clean only featuring lemmy these are only the bass moments because that's really all that matters tonight The thing I like about listening to these snippets the way we just did was the very first part, or maybe the first 75% of Keep Us on the Road Base solo seems to kind of lull you in an almost Hawkwindish way, which is appropriate. I was about he- to
0: say, like the yeah, the uh the vestiges of his you know, Hawkwind time are very, very present there.
1: I love listening for that in early Motorhead because it is there. There's a bridge, you know. And, and this and this is 1977. This is from the first Motorhead album. So Very early for Motorhead. And and yeah, of course, the Hawkwind fumes are still in the air. But at the end of that solo, he speeds it up and he starts to attack. And then you're like, oh, wow, okay, we're going for it now. And then the Stay Clean solo is all attack. It's just all just so badass. I mean, badass will probably be a term that comes up 27 times. It is,
0: but I feel like the melodic and harmonic liberties that he takes are still very, very much informed by his time in Hawkwind. No doubt. Where I, you would just have this one kind of bass pedal and then everyone playing around it. And I feel like that haunts his playing for a long time.
1: Dude, I, I mean, you know, even like, I'm not going to say like I can hear a bunch of Hawkwind on the last Motorhead album, Bad Magic, or whichever one it was. <laughs> I don't know. But I do think there's a thread always with Lemmy. I think, I think it's appropriate that he formed a band after Hawkwind that did a similar thing in the sense of like keeping it simple arrangement wise, keeping it mm-hmm. simple part wise, but having a big focus on in Hawkwind's case, hypnosis. And in Motorhead's case, I'm not going to say hypnosis, but there was a repetition and yeah. um, some uh, and another word that I'm just that's escaping me that that to me is really magnetic and really uh-huh. cathartic and really just i mean it it's it's the essence of what motorhead is and most of us love it a lot of us love it anyway and i think that rests on lemmy's bass
0: okay. yeah same
1: yeah uh next one uh this is a song that i have worshipped uh forever off an album i've worshipped forever by a band i've worshipped forever but this bass solo is the first one that i thought of when, when a I thought lot of, of worship it's a lot of worship when i thought of doing this um episode this is the first one i was like yes because to me this is a very fluid attacking beautifully constructed solo by mr joey vera of armored saint and this is off their 1985 album delirious no bad
0: i believe our mutually favorite
1: armored saint record uh, definitely love yeah. it this is released man i'm right i mean right isn't that, isn't that yes
0: great? yes it's amazing um and it, it does it has all of the character that you would desire in a guitar solo it, but his tone's really interesting too it like it's yeah. kind of a saxophonic quality um in it, yeah. spots it's, it's like a, i mean it, it it just the way that it that it cuts through the frequencies is really really Uh, sort of singular
1: yeah it's blaring because a lot of these solos as we're going to hear i don't think so much with motorhead i don't think so much with this vera solo but some of the ones we'll hear as i was making the snippets i kind of realized and this makes a ton of sense is that they don't come through the mix they don't cut through the way that vera does there Uh, because it's a bass guitar because it's you know it's always laid kind of underneath everything and it's that's the whole function or a main function. yeah and i
0: mean bass frequencies are just you know by nature more subliminal than you know than treble frequencies
1: so it's yeah so it's so it's funny where they sit in the mix uh when we hear them and uh but not so this one you and i'm so glad you pointed that out he plays at the time i think he was playing a fender precision bass uh Mm -hmm. which i i had Played one of those. That was one of one of my favorites that I owned and played. And um, that's a, that's a very versatile bass. It's not as unwieldy as the Rickenbacker. I think the Rickenbacker hey, is I mean, a, great, a great bass. It's but what Jocko played. There you go. Yeah, I th- I think it lends itself to fluidity. And Vera's very yeah. fluid. Always has been. I th- he's really one of the underrated bassists. I mean, any any guy that like you know not only if you've seen him live, you know how great of a bassist he is. But and you know, and no surprise that he would wind up in Fate's Morning. He you know what I mean? Up, like, he would he would wind up in Fate's Warning and merciful Fate has been using him yeah. for the last few years. I mean, that's <laughs> the guy's no slouch, you know. No, um,
0: <laughs> hardly. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and he's played on a lot of Fate's sort of offshoot type things, whether it's you know Archmtheos or OSI. Like the guy. Mm. He's just mm-hmm. great, and and every time he's around, like I can pick him out. I think he's got a singular style. But um, the one, the only other thing I wanted to say about the release solo is I love that he's doing a lot of string bending. There's one where there's like it's a cry, like almost like a wah, but I think it's a string yep. bend. I don't think it's an effect. And then there's something at the very end that I always think of as harmonics, but I, I think it's just nasty slides up the strings up the neck <laughs> uh, on brand new strings because it's got that really percussive. Sh- sh-
0: it does, yeah
1: modulation but uh anyway great stuff you can only follow that up with Joey DeMaio another Joey on the, <laughs> on the,
0: on the other let's us get the, get the Joey's out of the way get the Joey's
1: yeah. out of the way sure say, <laughs> say what you will about man war they in their time in the 80s were so good and so badass and DeMaio was a really really singular player Also a Rickenbacker player, uh, a custom Rickenbacker player. I I think as early as he could afford it, he started Mm -hmm. having his stuff designed by John Doc Stilwell, his kind of left-hand man with the bass. And he would also play an eight-string. He would play a piccolo bass, uh, infamously on Black Arrows, an unaccompanied Mm -hmm. bass solo on Hail to England. I I remember telling you a few years ago, I think, I I was like, oh yeah, I just listened to some Manowar. I really feel like DeMaio is really influenced by Chris Squire from Yes. Can you see that at all? Because I sure can. I I think
0: that well, I first of all, I think that any dominant bass player with a really really strong personality, in 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 the you know the field of rock, is probably the you know the successor of of Chris Squire in okay. some way. Yeah, I feel like Chris Squire is sort of the you know the er dominant rock bass player. I think he sets the tone. For all bass play, all you know, sort of prominent attacking uh, bass players that would that would come later. But I, I think that um, DeMaio struggles with that influence and actually sort of emerges victorious. Because <laughs> I think that that any bass player in metal who emerges in the mix and finds herself like the dominant personality in a band um, is indebted to Joey DeMaio. And I, that, you know, I mean, I, I listened to Carpathian Forest, uh, Black Shining Leather the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I kept thinking DeMaio. Mm-hmm. Anytime I hear a bass sticking out in a mix in metal, I think it's gotta be, some Joey DeMaio there.
1: And, and they did have a big impact on bands that would later go on to more extreme stuff. We we teased that show we wanted to do and still haven't but I think we will one day of the, the show of bands that were influenced obviously by or maybe not so obviously by Manowar and and they're not bands with names like Steel Attack or Wizard or whatever because that's fine but I'd, I'd be more interested in like looking at the bands that went you know took it to more of the extreme obviously Bathory is a great example sure. uh, of somebody who was influenced and you could hear it by the time of the third album anyway let's actually listen this is this guy yeah this guy's incomparable to me there's many many moments we could have picked i i really struggle with it uh guyana's amazing he he has a lot of mm. unaccompanied spots on on the, on the on the albums which are just kind of bonkers in some ways williams tale is bonkers thunder pick is bonkers black arrows is absolutely double bonkers but um <laughs> but i want to find things within the songs and that's not hard with him either so uh, I picked Sting of the Bumblebee from Kings of Metal, uh, 1988 album. This is not a cover. It's basically Joey DeMaio's adaptation of Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov's Flight of the Bumblebee. That was something he composed for the opera The Tsar of Salton in 1899-1900. Uh, so Sting of the Bumblebee is basically a take on that. Uh, and it's very deadly, as you'll hear. And then something that's a little different from the rest of these based snippets tonight, we picked a passage from Mountains that finds Joey kind of weaving in and out of Eric Adams during the verse. This is a very special song. It's uh, one of the
0: greatest metal songs of all time.
1: It is. It, it's. It, I it's, think. And I remember when I discovered Fate's Warning's "Awake in the Guardian in 80, eighty-six. It struck me as. Having a level of profundity that mountains the song does, which I was already Mm -hmm. into at that time. That's, that's the stuff that really was started to draw me in in the mid 80s was Metallica too would have that sophistication to me, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but mountains is a whole other realm even beyond all that because it's just it's so emotionally riveting and, and very different, I think for anybody calling themselves a metal band, and it really showed Manowar compositionally reaching something that is a little bit different than everything else in their catalog, but also very much fits their modus operandi. But yeah, so listen to that. This is Manowar and Joey DeMaio's Sting of the Bumblebee from 88 and Mountains from 84. <laughs> Of metal, I have to say, after eighty-nine episodes, we finally got to play Mountains. We found a way. I was just going to say, let's just stop and listen to the whole album.
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or I mean, yeah, like I mean, the podcast, this episode. Oh, every, every, I don't world, think it's going to get better than Mountains. The world, just stop the world. Just, just, just <laughs> you stop, just
1: stop the whole world. Dang yeah, I,
0: No, now, I, I never, don't know how many times I've heard that. I don't, for some reason, that just kind of throttled me.
1: I think putting focus on that moment and and what Joey's doing, because the rest of it's beautiful, too. You know, I I think Eric Adams is just in his best voice and um, everything. And there's a great moment later in the song where Joey and Ross the Boss are sparring, not, you know, in a Judas priest kind of way or the way Man of War normally might spar, like on a Black Wind Fire and Steel, but more in that laid-back, subtle, tempered thing that Mountains is, right? they're they're sparring or they' their' trading of the space is amazing. Like it's and I, I consider playing that too, but like look, we know it. if somebody out there is intrigued by this, you you have quite a discovery to make. Uh,
0: well and, and you really do and I think that it's telling just what we played of the the depth of the first four Man of War records. Mm-hmm. and the the potential for lyricism even i mean you tend to think of you know people that that you know parody men or, or make them out to be caricatures talk only about their you know really sort of alpha male you know macho characteristics yeah i mean it's a real vulnerability in mountains um oh, well yeah, and and, yeah. And, and 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 anyone that buys into that that myth of man of wars is missing out if you love amazing epic heavy metal and you don't know man of war you're doing yourself a disservice
1: yeah their their prime and earliest stuff has so much heart as well as all the other oh yeah metallic totally. stuff it has the thing i like about they, Joe- they, they will um they will fuck your girlfriend there <laughs> yeah well yeah just, i mean so you know keep keep, keep, keep them away but, right right yeah, but listen to the records <laughs> yeah. yeah they don't have to knock on your door for you to enjoy them <laughs> um or that they, they probably wouldn't even knock i suppose just it right they just they would they
0: just kick in the door yeah.
1: <laughs> not to belabor the point too much but i do like some of the extra little accents that joey does in there sometimes he's i th- i think he's um what's that thing you you do when you push an you, you you take the the bass in the middle or or the guitar but in this case the bass push the neck away from you and push the body toward you what, yeah this? i mean basically you're what's that moving bending. tone bending. Um, okay i feel like the
0: equivalent of like a whammy bar but without a whammy bar
1: do you think he's doing that in a couple of spots yeah like i i
0: think that he is physically manipulating the bass yes
1: and, and we have to say i've seen him play a few times live and he physically is one with that thing and it is pretty amazing to see Uh, I didn't see them in their prime but I think Joey DeMaio is always Joey DeMaio didn't you
0: see them at Ziggy's yes uh
1: yeah yeah, I remember remember that they were just starting their tour for Warriors of the World it wasn't the best show I've seen them three times and it was by far the least remarkable of the three but it was still very good and I was I just
0: remember thinking it would be pretty cool to see them in a venue like that. It was
1: great. It was great. I was right up front and like right up in front of Joey cuz I, again I like to watch him play so much um cuz he really it, it's a it's a passionate thing that that thing he has with his bass. And you'll see you'll see all the tricks he does. I think that's the most salient point here is is the stuff we're talking about with the the tone bending and some of the harmonics he'll do uh some of the different stuff he'll do with the eight string. I believe mm-hmm. that's got to be an eight string on mountains. And, and I, th- you were, we were talking too while we, that was playing, I thought he was those kind of high tings, those kind of bell-like mm-hmm. like accents he was doing. I thought he was hitting like up ahead on the headstock. He was hitting like where the, where the string, you know, meets the tuning peg or down by the bridge. But you're saying you think he's maybe hitting the, the pickup? I think that I, well, and I
0: don't know. And he very well may, I mean, typically when, you know, you play on the headstock, it doesn't have that, that level of precision. Um, I think that he, the the way that his bass is modded, he can probably switch out the pickups Uh, to um, get those different kind of bell-like tech. Because if you listen to it, as soon as he's done with that, he's into an entirely different bass character.
1: Sure. Um, And I I, I think
0: that he's got the ability to just swap out all these tones.
1: Yeah, well, and again, you you see him do this stuff live, and you're like, "Wow, oh that guy's that guy's a wizard, man, no doubt."
0: Yeah, for sure, man.
1: Hail, hail to De Mayo. We'll move on. I, I we're gonna hear some amazing stuff. Maybe not not as quite as much nuance as what we heard in Mountains, but <laughs> and I, I'm looking at the next song, and it's Sadus's Torture. So yeah, I was about
0: to say, I think we're going to, uh, <laughs> dead into chaos now.
1: <laughs> we are, we are. You, <laughs> you, you know us. We couldn't stay away. So this is um this is a blog of three. Pretty remarkable bass solos. Uh, The first two are by Steve DiGiorgio, another guy we have to to bring in here. The first one's going to be from Sadus's first album and a song called Torture, 1988. Uh, And then we skip up to uh, five, five or so years later, his work on The Philosopher by Death from the Individual Thought Patterns album. We do have a 1993 song here. And then we're going to listen to Richard Bateman. I guess one of many short-term bassists for Nasty Savage, because Nasty Savage went through a lot of bassists in their prime. I think it was a new guy every every recording. But uh, he also is uh, semi-infamous or semi-famous for playing an Agent Steele for a period. But this is a really great little solo from him on Nasty Savage's Penetration Point album from 1989 and a song called Sin Eater. So uh, two DiGiorgio and one Bateman. Here we go. Yeah, so uh, I got to comment. I got to comment on the Bateman there. It, it, like, I don't know if that guy ever did another bass solo <laughs> recorded, but I, I, I love the approach and I wish he would have done more because it's just, it's so nuts. It's, and it's so short.
0: I'm really glad that we did a Nasty Savage episode.
1: Oh, yeah. Because I yeah.
0: just feel like they are a completely underrated band. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I mean, just that, like when we, um, it, well, it, it is late for me. And assuming that I don't get a bed as soon as we're done, I'm going to listen to nasty Savage.
1: Excellent. So,
0: Excellent. Yeah. So I'm saying, and,
1: yeah. And then we have uh Steve DiGiorgio who on the philosopher, you get to hear that great fretless that he used to play or s- still does play. Uh, I'm sure. I was always amazed at, at him playing a fretless in a band like that because it's very mm. hard to pick it, pick things out. I think he also did it in an autopsy and <laughs> Yeah, you hear you hear the you hear the fretless on Fiend for Blood. Like I think Yeah, uh, no, he
0: did. Yeah, he did play <laughs> a fretless in autopsy. I know it, of all it, bands.
1: But he, he's he's brilliant. I saw him on the uh that individual thought patterns tour, first time I ever saw him live, and one of the few times actually. And I was I was just just I it was, it was <laughs> I don't know man I couldn't I couldn't even put my head around it it just it was perfect he landed on everything and I and I think there's I think you always have a little leeway with a fretless right that's the kind of the beauty of it is you can be maybe a semitone under or over the note but um as long as you're hitting 95% of them the rest sounds like fusion and you can get away well, with Well I it. mean yeah it's,
0: <laughs> it, it it I mean it's so difficult to have perfect intonation on a fretless bass yeah i mean it depends on you know more than just the fretless bass i mean are the guitars perfectly in tune Mm. um i mean and like you say you know if if you're you know really close it sounds awesome and it sounds like fusion um but (laughs) but it's 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 a gamble man (laughs) um and it's not for yeah i mean it's uh that's deep into the pool swimming
1: i remember watching him play on that tour and thinking have you ever seen the documentary man on wire about that guy that crossed, oh yeah 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 the tightrope
0: yeah yeah across
1: yeah. the tr- world trade centers in like early 70s on a tightrope i felt like that's what steve georgia was doing that whole show it felt totally. like felt like high wire walking it was like wow i mean he's doing it but man it looks dangerous so see, <laughs> yeah love this guy um, and of course, Sadus's first album, he's just ripping a solo in torture. And it just, it's um, no subtlety whatsoever. Sadus's
0: first album is just ripping torture.
1: Unbelievable. Well, I,
0: yeah. It's one of the most, yeah, just adrenalized metal albums of all time, probably.
1: Illusions is one of my favorite metal albums of any genre. It is.
0: Yeah. 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 I can't argue with that, man.
1: I should say. One of my favorite albums of any metal subgenre. genre Yeah.
0: Again, can't said, argue. How, however you say it, I'm not going to argue with you.
1: Well, then don't. You're gonna, I'm, you're gonna no, argue. I'm,
0: not, I'm not going to. Let's you, get on gonna, with this.
1: You're going to argue with these hot picks? We got uh, Dark Throne, <laughs> Sempaternal, <laughs> Sepulchrality, a little solo by Dag Nilsson. Off of, I was about uh, to say, I
0: bet nobody expected Dag Nilsson to pop up on this little podcast, did they?
1: Not Dark Throne, I don't think so. But I mean, it, like, here he is. <laughs> yeah, here, here they are. Dark Throne on on a bass guitar episode, <laughs> but Soul Side Journey being a little different yeah. than the rest of their catalog, we love it. I gotta say, I don't know top twenty album cover for me. Um, oh my
0: god! Oh, the easy.
1: You know that's the same guy that did the uh, first Paradise Lost album cover, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I dude, I bought, I bought Soul Side without even knowing anything about it because of the album cover
1: oh wow it was in a
0: um i don't even remember the ad but you know i knew it was on peaceville which was
1: kind of a safe bet it it was always an interesting bet yeah i mean that's you know i have deep fondness for peaceville but yeah but i mean that
0: album cover is as evocative as they come
1: for sure For sure. Uh, So we're going to listen to a little bass solo from Dag Nilsson, Dark Throne, Soul Side Journey. And then we're going to jump to Cataclysm's Sorcery album from 1995. And when Maurizio Iacono, I hope I'm saying that right, Maurizio, used to play bass for Cataclysm when they were great with Sylvain Hood. This is from their instrumental world of Treason, and we get just a fantastic solo from Maurizio. So check all this nonsense out.
0: early cataclysm is it nothing about it makes any sense <laughs> it's the most batshit band <laughs> ever that that bass solo yeah there's nothing about that theoretically that makes any sense whatsoever completely awesome yeah uh, well I mean right, I'm surprised uh, that Sylvain wasn't you know gurgling over it but it's amazing they got him to not sing for one song <laughs> look man dude give us 20 seconds right okay
1: (laughs) right right hey i think i saw an assassin upcoming terror cassette across the street and they sent him over he's looking around for it they record this song yeah i love it i I wish we heard more of Maurizio just killing on the bass like that of course you know he's hanging with the rest of the band on on all the rest of the material from that era but um yeah i wish he would have come out and done more soloing because i i love it it's just so nuts and then, of course, that short little bit from Dag on Dark Thrones Soul Side speaks for itself. Great stuff. Going to move to Australia and uh, a guy that over the years has inspired and impressed me so, so, so much. Uh, the more I hear him, and that's Damon Good he's in a lot of
0: bit of a crush on Damon.
1: I I do have a bit of a crush I I just just the the work he's done and you know Stargazer's Psychic Secretions is one of my favorite metal albums of all time I mean yes it came out last year but I think I'll be saying that in 20 years I I really do on my on my deathbed 30 years 40 50 years hence like I just I I think it's that good I've always loved that band they just absolutely nail it every single song every single moment on that album but to get back to Damon yeah, he's a phenomenal bassist, and he, he and it's funny that he plays guitar in what is kind of his most popular band, Mournful Congregation. I mm-hmm. think they're probably the most well-known band of of his whole constellation. He was also for a short time in a very long-running uh, but very not very prolific band called it's either Martyr or Martyr. I I don't know. I, I don't I think, think it's Mortyr,
0: but, Martyr, but thing, but yeah,
1: just a terrible name, but um, it is, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh he was on their 2012 album, Brutal Legions of the Apocalypse, which is just also
0: which is an amazing song. Yeah, amazing album
1: title. Yeah, we're not selling this with the the band name or the album title, but I will say it's an amazing album. I love it. Extreme aggression. Extreme it, it is extreme aggression. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's that kind of title. Uh this is what you're getting. We're gonna start with Stargazer's Hooves. This is from uh Psychic Secretions from last year. Damon Good uh, does a pretty nutso solo on that. Uh, And then we're going to switch to Damon doing something um, maybe even nuttier on Martyr's, Martyr's Lusixian
0: bass solo is another missed opportunity by the champs
1: war metal bass solo miss miss <laughs> miss song title opportunity y- yeah you're absolutely right it's also a rarity it's like it's like a really rare sighting it's it, it's yeah it's like the ocelot in america like um. <laughs> one of my favorite animals me too but it's I'm around sorry. but you're you're it's going to be rare that you come across yeah it. you're yeah you're
0: not yeah, yeah. Then,
1: bestial Warlust isn't giving you many bass solos you know probably not no uh but that's that's great and, and good on good on damon good no no pun intended at all but um i think he's fantastic i think he's a great great asset to metal period uh one of my favorite musicians to come out of australia and um i have to say it once again stargazer's psychic secretions is legendary it's amazing and
0: I, you know if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time you know my uh hesitation. Reluctance to give praise to anything that's released in the last 20 years. <laughs> right. Psychic secretions is that good. Yeah. but uh, thank you. I,
1: I'm a believer. Yeah. No, well, thank yeah. Thank it's you. It's an for...
0: amazing, amazing album. And it it has, you know, it was kind of like when we were talking about Simon Siemens' performance on Arcturian, how it transcends yeah. its era. And yeah. it's just it, it's just a classic metal performance same with psychic secretions yeah it it doesn't belong to any era it's just yeah
1: i could throw in a witchcraft's legend there too like where does it fit why is it so goddamn good why is it so perfect you know it's one of the the modern classics that might be a good show sometime to look back on the last 20 years which we both think have been a little bit thin on classics compared to the 70s 80s and 90s um well yeah there's plenty and we could some yeah we could do a 20 snippet show for sure. So it's, they're rarer for sure. But um, yeah, it definitely bears repeating that uh, there aren't as many, but psychosecretions is one of them. Okay. Uh, we're going to move to a couple other oddballs here. Uh, this is Necrophagist, a band that lasted for a full two albums. Kind of fizzled away. Hey man, um, that, that third album's coming they're now listed as as split up on metal archive so i guess yeah, well, i, I they've guess they been that,
0: split up for ages but yeah, but, yeah
1: but people people would not let it go they they kept saying a third album's coming so a lot a lot of rumor anyway epitaph amazing amazingly enough is now 18 years old dude how old does that make you feel <laughs> old yeah that's their God, second how, album how old were, Jesus i was 34 i was in
0: um i yeah i was in winston then i was
1: 25 24 yeah, yeah, you 24. 20, yeah, yeah, I know It's said and it doesn't seem like that it's long that that album came out because we both got into it when it came out. I still love it. I don't know if you still listen to it. Um, I, I do. Um, you
0: know, and I, um, I don't cotton to much of the Pro Tools, high tech, brutal death stuff. Modern stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, much at all. But again, like epitaph goes well beyond that the songwriting is so amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean and that's I mean that's really it. It's it's the songwriting so great. It's the ideas, because I mean so many bands have made facsimiles of that sound, and that's easy enough to do with you know technology. But you uh, you can't write songs like Muhammad, man.
1: Yeah, so um, it's gonna be fun to revisit this. But this is uh, the the bass solos by Stephen Fimmers a song called Only Ash Remains. And then we're going to move to something that both you and I got turned on to recently. And, and I have to admit, I never knew that Rainer Lanferman, Rainer Lanferman was as good of a bass player as he is. He's been in other bands besides Bethlehem's second album and his one solo album. He's 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 not the most prolific guy, but man, I want to hear these other bands he was in just to know if he was playing bass the way he does on his solo album. He doesn't even play the bass on Dictius Decare" by... Uh, by Bethlehem so
0: well I don't know that that album required his services <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: think, I, think his, I think his vocals were plenty <laughs> he released an amazing solo album uh, about three or four years ago called Mindfort in Diner Dunkelheit which is my word in, in your darkness we got turned on to it through the show several episodes ago Forrest Pitt's takeover and thank you Forrest for turning us on to that amazing album <laughs> If that band misanthrope were actually great, that's how they would sound. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're a fan, but I, I, I've tried them. They're just uh yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I think Matt Johnson tried to get me into him. I the, the French band, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I could yeah, I couldn't get into them either. They sort of sound I, I gotta like say, that. man, that might be the most classically virtuosic bass playing we've heard so far.
1: Probably. Yeah, insane. Probably. Yeah, yeah. What a beguiling resume the guy has. He was on one (laughs) Bethlehem album and made one of the most renowned infamous vocal performances of all time in metal, no doubt. And then and then years later, years later, he comes back with his second most significant thing three or four years ago, solo album. He does a lot of the work on it, all the writing. It's his thing, has other players on it, but he's singing, obviously. And also playing the bass which he does pretty damn well and like, yeah who, he's, who he's not bad knew? at the bass. who the fuck knew it's just Dude. ridiculous and then of course steven Fimmers from Necrophagist, a couple bits from the song only ash remains so <laughs> we're gonna move on there's just really no way to follow it up but by a few classics here and yeah. uh and one unsung gentleman from georgia this is going to be a block yeah. of a block of four it struck me that we needed something from John Myung of Dream Theater, because I know he's got a few solos and a few songs. And uh, the one from Metropolis Part 1 is maybe not so much a solo the way we're, we're featuring them, but it's, it's a bit of a break. And I just love no, I, ta- yeah, it. Is, I, yeah, I, I love sure. the tapping technique here. It's 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 as fluid as can be. And then we're going to have Gail Pirlo. Am I saying that right?
0: No, uh, yeah. Per-
1: Gail uh of a little band called Canvas Solaris on... Your band's cover of Coroner's Arclight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, this came out in 2010. And I think you had Gail do something that is not in the original song. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So actually, this was <laughs> sadistically Gail's audition for Canvas. It's actually <laughs> recorded in 2006, it just came out in 2010. And yeah, uh, Nathan and I rearranged the original and Nathan swapped out the guitar solo for a bass solo. And we um, also transposed the distorted part for a clean part. And anyway, this is the result of it. He passed. I mean, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is
1: this is great. Love that corner split seven inch too with Pharaoh. Our friends from Pharaoh, uh, Matt Johnson and Chris Blackspan. I want to say that you were a little bit bashful about including any Canvas Solera stuff on our podcast at all just because you know you're in it and it may seem like an inside job but honestly you didn't have to call me up and get special permission which you you were kind of like hey do you mind if you know i was like yeah of course we can you guys are the legitimate band I, I know we're pairing you here with dream theater cynic and spiral architect maybe not fair but <laughs> you guys are all in the, of the same family in terms of what you're going for and like i said canvas is a very legitimate band so i i went ahead and put it right in here uh, i think it fits uh, better within this block than any of the other blocks Mm. played so uh, kudos to you guys kudos to gail uh we'll move on and and listen to the late (laughs) sadly late sean malone his Mm. wonderful pretty legendary solo on textures by cynic from their 1993 focus album and we'll end the block with spiral architects access it we may have featured this song on a previous episode when we covered the entirety of this album of skeptics universe um, but we don't care because this belongs here Lars Norberg, that was a long Lars, time ago and and Lars Norberg is is a unbelievably remarkable bassist and there are many we won't be featuring we um we thought of featuring Ralph Hubert from Mekong Delta but we did a show on them and he's all over that uh there are so many more this is one of those like our Fusion episode or our Synthors episode where we could, we could probably do it another installment sometime so mm-hmm. We'd love to hear from Radical Research listeners if they have uh, ideas on accompanied bass solos. We don't want to hear anything about that unaccompanied stuff. You know what we're going for if you've gotten this far in the show. So let's listen to this block. Somehow, somehow I'm reminded of Dana Carvey's excellent impersonation of Johnny Carson. That's wild, wacky stuff. Yeah, it is. Man, um, that's a hell of a block. This is just fun Ooh. to listen to like this. I might throw that in my in my iPod. All righty. All righty. We are going to shift gears in uh, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, but you know what? You you contributed this one. This is uh, Corrosion of conformities. My Grain. And we, nobody thinks of Mike Dean as a virtuoso bassist, but I've always thought of him as a killer bassist. I mean, the, guy, the guy's um, the thing you need in a band like COC. And this is from their Deliverance album. But when you submitted it, I have this album. I like this album. I didn't remember that there was a bass solo on
0: it. Yeah, and, man. And amazing, <laughs> like, amazing damn. tone. Yeah. Amazing attack. Um, Extremely musical. I I love this moment. Let's go.
1: Yeah, that reminds me a little bit of the release solo. It doesn't quite cut through quite as much as Vera, but I I suspect he's playing a Fender Precision there. Fender. No, no, he absolutely is a P bass. Yeah, okay. yeah. i know I
0: can right. confirm that actually.
1: It's a little bit like a Rickenbacker where there's a sound. There just is a sound. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for that. We have nothing more to say. We said it all in the beginning. If you want to visit us, visit us at radicalresearch.org. We have a, a fully stocked store. We hope to expand that at some point. But right for right now, it's just our projects and our things. Uh, we'll be featuring your Deserts of Hex journal in there. When? Mm. In a month? Two months? Yeah,
0: probably, probably yeah, a month at most.
1: Okay. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll hype that when it comes out. I'm, I'm very impressed with it. We're going to end with, there's just really only one way to end the show like this. Yeah, you have to play some Cliff Burton. And I wish there was 10 more albums of this material to choose from in terms of the caliber of it, uh, the greatness of it. But as we all know, he didn't last long. But you have to end with his solo in Orion. It's just, um, to me, when I was growing up, becoming a bassist, well into knowing I was hooked on Metal for Life, his work on the first two Metallic albums was incredible. And then they came out with Master of Puppets, which he's great all over it. Orion is his crowning achievement. I think, uh, I believe it was played at his funeral. Mm. What more is there to say? And this is the, yeah, Yeah, this is base beauty right here. Join us next time. We, uh, we have no idea what we're going to do for episode 90, but we'll figure it out in the meantime. And, uh, we know you'll join us. At least we hope you will. If you have halfway decent taste in weird podcasts. Okay, here we go. Cliff Burton, Metallica, Orion, Master Puppets, 1986. God.